0: Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 47. I'm Kip Clark, and with me in the studio today, another guest, Phoebe Lewis. Hello, guys. And so, Phoebe, I know you want to talk about relationships specifically as they pertain to and relate to the internet.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting subject. And uh, Kip, you and I are both in this really interesting course called The Anthropology of Mass Media. So I think that we both can kind of lend an academic perspective on this, which I think is pretty unusual. In many ways, most of which is because the anthropology of mass media is very much a developing field.
0: Right, it's very recent.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely cutting edge. And what I like about that is that it means that you can rely on your own personal experiences as very legitimate pieces of evidence, which you don't always get in a lot of academic fields. So that's probably why I like it.
0: I agree. And I definitely think for similar reasons, it's interesting to me. I have had my own experiences relating to people online, occasionally in romantic settings, but also as friends, as acquaintances. And I find that really fascinating. And as you said, the study of mass media and the internet in particular, because both are very young, lends a lot of credibility to the individual. And obviously, we have our own anecdotes to go on as well as the anecdotes of others. And I think there are a lot of stigmas and ideas surrounding this very mysterious aspect of human interaction. So, I would start by first asking you what experiences you've had online and relating to other individuals, maybe that you haven't met before.
1: Well. I am actually currently talking to someone online that I've never met face to face. And this is something that if you had asked me maybe two or three years ago, I would have said flat out, no, I will not do that. I don't know the person. I don't feel comfortable. But given specific circumstances and in part because I am taking this course on the anthropology of mass media, I feel like my relationship with the ways that we interact with people online has changed. So right now I'm talking to a guy that I met on Hinge. is like the non-creepy version of tinder at least that's how i like to think of
0: it and tinder for those listening that don't actually know what it is
1: tinder is sort of seen as a more heterosexual offshoot of grinder in which you get a picture of a person that's taken from facebook and there's an x underneath it or a heart if you like the picture AKA, you're basically turned on by it. You heart it, which means that you have liked them. If they like you back, you get a match. If they don't like you back, you never really know because you never get a confirmation. So it's kind of like a consequence-free potential hookup. But what I like about Hinge is that it is like Tinder in that you are basing your choices based on the person and how they look but you also only match with people that you have mutual or third-degree friends with, which adds a level of credibility in that they are probably not going to chop you up into a million pieces, which you don't really know with Tinder.
0: Right. I think the idea of consequences and risks are very important in things like online dating, although it's intriguing that we're more aware of it. When meeting someone for the first time online, meeting people in person can be equally as dangerous, and I feel like we don't often talk about that as a culture or society, but rather throw all of the risk and this new and emerging field of online dating, which in very many ways is legitimate. And actually we had a discussion with our class recently in which a lot of people gave or implied certain disdain for online relationships as not as legitimate or not as real not as authentic in many ways, which I take umbrage with, because I think there are many distinctions between dating online, dating in real life, or even just chatting online versus chatting in real life. In my experiences, I've had very honest conversations with people on chat, usually on Facebook chat or an instant messaging app of some sort. I feel like people don't waste as much time small talking. They're very honest. And the idea of risk is almost non-existent. Like you said, there's certain consequence-free areas on the internet. And I think when speaking with someone, whether you know them or not, the idea that you could at any time just log off if you don't like the conversation or block this person if you don't like the conversation is nice because you can't do that in real life or at least not as easily. And so I think people are more candid, more willing to speak honestly. And I'd be curious to hear what you think about that.
1: Well, I have two responses to that. The first would be simply to suggest what someone in a video that we had seen in our class last night said, which is a new, fresh perspective that I hadn't thought of and that you touched upon. The idea that people are able to kind of unburden their souls in a way that they can't do face-to-face, and I think that that is very liberating in many ways. You can kind of cut the chase. You can just say what you want, and if you say something and you immediately regret it, you can unfriend that person, you can remove yourself from them indefinitely in a way that you can't do if you're talking over coffee and you stumble over your words, say something you regret, and then you have to salvage the situation. So that is liberating. But on the other hand, we don't therefore hone the social reflexes and the social cues that we might find are necessary in daily life. If we spend our entire day conveniently removing ourselves from awkward situations, how are we gonna cope when we have an awkward situation in real life? we can't click on their face and have them disappear. So I do think that awkward moments face-to-face are very useful, perhaps only because they are learning experiences that you can't get online.
0: I agree. Human beings learn and perfect certain things through mistakes and through mishaps or uncomfortable situations, which we all look back on and smile or laugh about how awkward or uncomfortable something was. But of course, there are certain situations in real life that you can't simply remove yourself from. If you're having a job interview and the conversation goes awry, you can't just leave. You may need that job or a similar job opportunity like it. You only gain those skills of socializing and reading social cues and verbalizing your thoughts, conversing with other people through trial and error. And I think that one aspect of online interactions is that you remove certain error because you can simply run away. So I'm on your side there. I would ask you what aspects of yourself you think manifest in certain conversations you have with people you haven't met before or what things you talk about.
1: That's a really interesting question because no one has ever asked it before because I think that your question suggests an attention to the legitimacy of online conversations, which I appreciate. I do sometimes think that I can be a bit more vulnerable online, not vulnerable as in I'm going to get catfished, but vulnerable in that I can say things that I might not say to someone over coffee because they're is a level of risk that has been effectively removed from the situation. Although I do say that with the knowledge that it seems like the risk has been removed. I don't know if it actually has. But to me, it feels like there's less consequence for what I say, which allows me to be more vulnerable about expressing myself, about connecting with someone. I think that is a double-edged sword. It allows people to really spout some pretty messed up stuff online. But it also does mean that this guy that I'm talking to, I have been very honest with him about where I am in my life in a way that I would probably take a lot longer to get to if we were dating face to face. Obviously, I don't want to conduct this entire relationship online. I would really like to meet him and see how it works, and if we don't work face to face, then that's not going to work for me. But it does help to kind of accelerate the getting to know you process when that's facilitated by a lack of constraints.
0: I agree. I've found similar things to be true. And I personally applaud you for being vulnerable in any situation. I think vulnerability is something we shy away from as a generation and as a culture, in my opinion. Personally, I've found that conversations online often feel very stimulating and that I can choose when to speak with this other person and message them. And if they're online at the same time, we'll often have a conversation about whatever. And the brilliant thing about online interactions is that if a certain thought occurs to me or I'm inspired by something or overwhelmed with a certain emotion, it's very, very easy to get on Facebook or another site or app through which I can message someone and start that conversation. If someone lives, let's say, 13 miles away from me and it would require a long drive to actually reach that person face to face, the emotion might have worn off or the feeling or the question that I had might not be as burning or as prominent to me. So the convenience of speaking online is very powerful to me. And I understand that sometimes convenience can make us lazy, but I've also attempted to have similar types of conversations about burning desires or strong inspirations that I've had or other things that are on my mind in person. But I've had a lot of those talks because of the convenience online, which I think has led me to be closer with people because they are bigger topics. They're topics that matter to me. It's not how someone was dressed or something else that I would consider trivial or maybe superficial. What do you think about that concept?
1: I think that that is very spot on, at least in my relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean romantic, but also platonic. I have very meaningful relationships with my friends. And some of the most difficult and emotional conversations that I've had with them have occurred over text. That's not because I seek out text to substitute a conversation, because I think that it is very valuable to sit face to face to someone and say something that's hard to say. But sometimes you simply can't. And sometimes, like you said, you'll be overwhelmed by an emotion, by a memory, and you just need to get it out, and text allows you to do that. For instance, I was having a bad day, and my first thought was not, I'm going to walk to my friend's house and see if she's there, and if she's there, maybe my first thought was, I'm gonna text her. And I did, and we had a really deep and meaningful conversation over text that while conducted it through a screen was immensely meaningful to me, made me feel a lot better. We didn't really even touch on it that much after it. But it's not like we ignored it. It was just, you know, a conversation that we had that would just happen in a different way. And I think that I used to be a bit cynical about those things, but ever since taking this class, I've started putting a bit more faith and legitimacy in these interactions and recognizing them for what they are, which is not a deviant form of communication, but rather a different form of communication. It's not an evolution of... Another way of communicating, it's simply different, and it serves its own purpose, and it is not necessarily comparable because you can never compare letter writing, texting, Skyping with face-to-face. You just can't, but you can recognize and appreciate the differences and strengths of a certain medium of communicating
0: certainly. So in our class, we read about situations in Trinidad where online communities have sort of emerged. And increasingly, as Trinidadians emigrate from Trinidad and the surrounding areas, studies have shown that more and more conversations or interactions happen online. And the ethnographers who wrote the chapter that we will discuss now described ideas of repairing relationships that had previously grown distant, searching for new relationships and managing to cultivate those. And maintaining maintaining ties with either extended or nuclear family members. And I think that's very interesting that online opportunities afford people new avenues of communication that didn't previously exist. And if you moved away from home in the past, you had letter writing or perhaps phone calls. But now there are so many ways to stay in touch with people. And I'd be curious to hear what you took away from this chapter.
1: So there are a couple things that really struck me as very significant and important in this chapter. One is dual function of social media that the authors pinpoint. The first is social media to reestablish connections, as Kip just said. Sort of reaching out to your auntie that you haven't seen in a year, hearing that she had a kid, getting really excited, feeling that that emotional connection is kind of back on track. That's something that I definitely do with my family abroad, and I can definitely vouch for how important Facebook has been in feeling like I'm a part of my baby cousins' lives. The second is expanding family sociality, in which you may connect with cousins that you've never met, feel like you're kind of more in touch with the extended members of your family that you would otherwise maybe not even knew existed. And so that adds a new framework for support and emotional stability, I think. Another thing that really struck me as interesting in this article is that the young men and women who used chat rooms to pursue romantic relationships, most of these people were from their 20s to 30s. And these are people who often lead quite sheltered lives. They may never leave their town. They may still live with their parents. It's a way of kind of getting out. And they ascribe significant weight to these online relationships. They are not diversions. They are excursions, I guess, is what I would say. They are not simply meant to distract them from where they are in their lives, but are actually potential avenues for growth and significant emotional development for these people. And I think that is super interesting. And I think that it operates in a way that Tinder doesn't. I think Tinder is a social diversion. It's, oh, who thinks I'm hot? Who would I want to hook up with? This is more like, I'm looking for someone that I can actually connect with. This medium helps me do that. And let's see where it goes.
0: The desire to see how things progress is definitely a big factor in establishing these relationships or seeing what they become. I also think initial connections that people have are very interesting. For example, Around 2009, 2008, I was a member of a site called Blog TV, in which members would host video chats, and there would be text alongside in which other viewers could post text, and I actually got pretty close with some of the people that were hosting these shows, some of whom would show TV shows that they were watching, others of whom would just have video chats with large audiences of, let's say, 80 or upwards of 100 people, and they were very interesting. It was often very fast-moving and often centered around the host, of the show, but I found it very interesting and I maintained contact with some of these people and they were some of my closest friends at the time because they spoke very honestly and candidly and I'd never met them. But they had sort of opened a window into their lives and had been willing to share certain things with me as an audience member or others and I found those very interesting because they were large groups of people in real time communicating it was like I said around 80 or 100 people could be in a single room which was interesting and then there have been moments in my life where I've known someone from school let's say and after school is over I've stayed in touch with this person via Facebook or other means of communicating obviously many people use text and I've gotten pretty close to some people I've had multi-hour long conversations with friends or even people I was romantically interested in in which I was allowed to be very vulnerable and very honest and share things about my life that I don't think I would have had time or perhaps freedom to do in other contexts.
1: I do have a question about that. I had never really realized that you could fit, metaphorically speaking, 80 to 100 people into one of those chats, and that's super interesting to me. Did you ever feel that when you turned off your laptop that you were alone again? Or did you feel like that community continued to exist even when you weren't using that medium?
0: That's a very interesting question. For me, I didn't feel alone necessarily. Many of these people had proliferated on the internet. Some of them had YouTube channels, so they posted videos there. Others had blogs that you could check out. But oftentimes I felt that shows on BlogTV, this website, were very frequently going on. So if I left a certain show and came back several hours later, maybe someone else would be hosting but it might be a member of that core group of people with whom i had been interacting previously in a separate show so i was always given the impression that they were always there when i needed them in perhaps a very objectifying way that i made them these friend objects that i could go to whenever i needed because it is difficult to conceptualize that they are of course separate people with separate lives and they have things to do but to me on a friday or saturday night if i was bored and needed some entertainment they were around And another idea we talked about in last night's class was the idea of I and thou relationships versus I and it relationships. So in the former, you treat the other person as an equal. You recognize that they are a person and that they have their own agency and feelings. In the latter, they become an object, which is very problematic, and I recognize that. I think many of these communications I had with people on blog TV, for example, started as I-it relationships because there were too many people to keep track of, and I wasn't actually having one-on-one conversations with any of them. But gradually, when I maintained contact, let's say through email or even Facebook, they became I-thou relationships in which I recognized how their lives were going. One of them with whom I've stayed in touch had a child last May. And so i've gotten to see her family develop and so i have remained relatively close with that individual which i find really cool because there have been somewhat real world tangible moments that have come from that she mailed me a letter and a package once and that was really cool because again i've never met this person but i think a lot of the times they often start as very problematic i it relationships and i would ask you related to this young man or other relationships you've had If you've ever felt like you start out and it doesn't really feel like you're speaking with another person on the other end.
1: It's funny. I was in a long-distance relationship that has since ended. We were very far apart. And the way that we kept in touch was through texting. And I think around the two-month mark, the hump month, I like to call it, sort of we'd gotten that far. I didn't know it at the time. I now have a word for it. But I did feel a little bit like our relationship was becoming an I-it relationship. Not because I viewed my partner as an it, but because I sometimes felt like my phone was becoming my partner. And that I could whip out my phone on demand, share a moment, and then put my phone back. And that became our relationship. Which, to be honest, might be part of why this relationship is no longer happening. While that is sort of a cynical way of looking at things, I do think that that illustrates some of the dangers of technology i think that technology can really really help sustain wonderful and healthy relationships but i also think that it can cause relationships that should have ended earlier to continue and the ways that those continue are through morphing i-thou relationships into i-it where the relationship sputters along but is slowly becoming i-centered instead of sharing and that's really hard to remedy a when you're far apart b when technology is kind of the only method of communication that you and your partner might have because slowly at least in my experience that person becomes the medium through which you communicate with them Sometimes I would honestly wait for the text and I wouldn't know if he existed if I didn't get a text. And that's kind of alarming.
0: Absolutely. That's a very astute observation to make. We do tend to associate the people with the medium through which we communicate. And I think that can be, like you said, alarming in a lot of ways. My final question to you would be, do you fear that online communications are in some ways cannibalizing or consuming the ways in which we communicate with people face-to-face or otherwise beyond the realm of technology?
1: That's a good question and not one that I can really answer definitively, but I would say I think that it changes the ways that we interact face-to-face, not in that we interact any differently. The way that you and I talk is no different because we text. If anything, our friendship has been reinforced because we text, because I have been able to say, hey, how are you? You know? When we weren't in the same place. But right before we came into the studio, I was sitting outside with friends and I missed your text. And you said in a jokey manner, oh, you didn't see my text. This friendship is over. I knew that that was a joke because I recognize that your joke is based on the fact that it would be ludicrous to not be friends with someone because they didn't respond to a text. But there's also a little bit of truth in what you said, which is that if I had totally cut off communication with you over text, defriended you, stopped following you on Twitter, effaced you from my social media life, that would have been a real cut. That would have been a very sort of hurtful thing to do to you, I like to think because we're friends. And that's interesting to me, that we don't see texting as the basis of a friendship, but if you cut that out, that says something.
0: I agree. That's a really interesting observation to make. So before we close out the episode, do you have any questions for the audience or things you would like people to think about?
1: I would just say to the audience, keep an open mind. I really think that that's important. I think that it's easy to become a Luddite, and I say that having been a Luddite until very recently, and I still sort of am. But I think it's really important to have an open mind about new ways of communicating. And so I would challenge you to change the ways that you view things, even if it's a little tweak, even if you stop yourself being cynical for one moment when looking at a dating app or maybe think about the fact that you've only texted this person and very rarely seen them in real life, but maybe wonder if that's still legitimate. Force yourself to think outside your comfort zone in terms of online relationships. That would be my thing.
0: I'm on the same page. I would urge people to question how they communicate and why they communicate the way they do, and also if you haven't tried out certain mediums, even if you don't plan to jump outside your comfort zone, which I agree with Phoebe is a good idea to try... Why are you unwilling to bridge that gap? Why is it so uncomfortable and unfamiliar to you? And maybe think about that and discuss it with people you know, because many, many people are using social media. Many more are beginning to use dating apps or similar resources, and I think it's a worthwhile discussion to have. So, Phoebe, thank you very much for coming on. I'm glad we were able to have you.
1: Thanks for having me, Kit.
0: And, of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between so, if you would like to reach out to us, we would be happy to hear your comments, your criticisms, your concerns, or your opinions. Our Twitter is stride and saunter. You can reach us on Facebook, stride and saunter. You can email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And we encourage you to check out our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.